right, Zoe, it's a, it's a pleasure to have you here the conversation with Iris. Uh, Zoe Gardner is the policy advisor for the Joint Council for the Welfare of Immigrants. And uh, the conversation today is going to be around the new plan for migration of the UK government. Thank you for having me. It's great to be here. Talk about this very dangerous attack on uh, refugee and migrants rights that we're facing. A number of aspects of this in new immigration plan, some of them have been dropped in the conversation over a period of months. And um, one that has attracted a lot of attention is the, the changes that uh, uh, are proposed to the asylum regime. And I wanted to ask you, what, what are your response to these proposals? Yeah, the proposals to change the asylum system in the UK are very worrying. Um, it's really an attack on the fundamental principles of refugee protection in this country. It's an attack on the principles of the um, Geneva Convention on Refugees. Um, and it's uh, a real threat to the protection of people fleeing violence and, and seeking to build new lives in the UK. So the Home Secretary is, is hoping to enshrine in law the double standards that she applies to asylum seekers. Um, so two people who are fleeing the exact same persecution, the exact same war, could arrive here under different ways. And one of them would be, in her view, a, a legitimate refugee, and the other one she would seek to deny protection. Um, and this is about denying agency to refugees. Refugees, in her mind, are supposed to stay quietly uh, in um, the place where they're being persecuted or, or or in the right refugee camp where she happens to be looking to select um, a lucky one to come for protection in the UK um, and, and to remain there silently until she handpicks the people who deserve protection in this country. But anybody who um, can't do that and who has to escape off their own back and um, makes the journey here to come to the UK to seek protection um, on their own individually, that person would then, it, to her mind, not be considered legitimate, and she would try to send them away again. I think it's also in those uh, very important things that people are kept for months of years waiting for resettlement. I mean, the resettlement program uh, of the United UNCR doesn't really work smoothly. And uh, this kind of approach puts even more weight on that kind of system. Um, in the in in parallel to this sort of attack on on the right to uh, apply for asylum in Britain, the UK government it seems quite keen to emphasise how good things the many good things they are doing for a select few of refugees that they pick and choose and they bring it here. So in a sense, it seems there is a balance between oh look we are doing uh, some uh, important things for just a handful of people, and that in a sense give us uh, the moral legitimacy for taking this approach. And obviously, I th personally think it's a very dangerous um, game to play, especially from the perspective of the people seeking protection. Yeah, I absolutely agree. Um, it's, it's a very clever system of sort of co-opting the language of uh, humanitarian action, co-opting the language of safe routes, which is what, you know, um, people in the refugee protection sphere have been talking about for years now, about like how people need safe routes to come to the UK in order to seek protection. She's taken that language and applied it to just a tiny minority 
of, of people. Um, um, even We don't even know how small a minority because she hasn't been to give us any numbers or any targets for how many people she would help through resettlement. And obviously it, it creates a situation where in the public conversation, we're forced to be on the back foot and say, oh yes, well, we do support resettlement. That's all very well, but, and you've already lost a lot of people by the time you get to the, but there's a problem here. And actually the reality is, is that she is closing down um, the major, the, the the vast majority of the way that most people who, who get protection in this country actually get it. And that's through um, making these desperate journeys that they flee, they escape. They're not going to the embassy and asking for a visa that's not available to them. They have to run away um, from, from war and from persecution. And, you know, and, and these are people who have very good reason not to trust the authorities and not to apply um, and, and to wait around and rot um, in a refugee camp for years. These are people generally speaking with good connections to the UK. Um, and that's why they seek to come here because let's not forget the vast majority of refugees stay in developing regions. Others who do make it to Europe apply for asylum in other European countries. The very few who are making it off their own back to come to the UK shores and seek asylum here are doing so because they have connections to the UK, they have reason, good reason to want to be here. And they have, they have every right under international law to choose the country where they will feel safe and where they feel they can best rebuild their lives. And so that relatively small number of people um, is still far too much for this Home Secretary to handle. Um, you know, with, with numbers going down in the asylum system, she has a backlog that is going up. And she's thinking about introducing more delays and, and more barriers and limits. And, and then, yes, as you say, using this language of humanitarianism and safer routes in order to disguise that. And it's very dangerous. The other, the other sort of piece in this sort of narratives that they are building is the one that started in a sense with the creation of the, the anti-clandestine migration uh, commissioners. So the one in charge of reducing arrival from France through the channel, et cetera. But I think if you look at the numbers, even at the peak of this sort of uh, alleged invasion, we're just talking of a few hundred people. I mean, in, I think in a year overall, uh, in 2020, we're talking about 8,000 people, or less than uh, 2,000 people. Uh, if only you compare these figures to the number of applications for asylum in other European uh, member states of the same similar size of uh, you know, the kingdom, or if you remember the arrival from uh, Greece, uh, from Turkey to Greece or from Libya to Italy, it, it, we are talking really sort of a, in a drop in the ocean. So yeah. uh, still, it really, I think, has a, a lot of, um, it can exercise a lot of influence in the public debate and perception. I mean, this idea that, you know, we have this invasion going on, oh, we are generous with the refugees, those are the criminals. And uh, Yeah, and it's this, um, this wrong-headed approach that looks at numbers, but we, we know perfectly well that if 20 people arrived on a boat, Nigel Farage would be there to shout at that boat, and the Daily Mail would print articles about this invasion. So it's nothing to do with the numbers. Whether the numbers are a bit bigger or a bit smaller actually doesn't make a difference. What people want to see an end to, including you and I, is people taking the crossing on these dangerous boats and enriching smugglers. And actually, if providing, for example, a, a travel document, a visa for people who wanted to come um, for the purpose of seeking asylum, for the purpose of going into the asylum system in the UK, was made available to people in France or in other countries around the world, and they could travel safely and 
and you know in the same way that you or I would make that journey and come here without paying a smuggler um, then you know the the bogeyman would go away would disappear and even if the numbers were then a little bit higher and reasonably speaking they wouldn't be much higher but maybe if they were you know a couple of thousand rather than a couple of hundred arriving but nobody was taking that boat and nobody was showing up on the shore and nobody was paying the smuggler then you would disarm the right and you would disarm the smugglers and you would actually solve the problem, right? And nobody would, would worry about it being, you know, 36,000 or 35,000 people who came to seek asylum in the UK this year. That's not really what people know about, understand in terms of numbers or, or worry about. What they, what they worry about is the hysteria and the look at them invading us, you know, without following the rules. Well, let's give them some rules they could follow, a visa they can apply for, and then have them come in that way. And then we could disarm this problem completely. But she doesn't want to do that because it doesn't serve her purposes. But the impression is that when they come out with this immigration uh, plan for immigration, so you know, asylum is not even in the title in a sense of the plan, but the focus is always on a tiny minority. I mean, it's, it's uh, the title um, sort of uh, project an idea that this is going to be an holistic approach in understanding and managing, uh, you know, migration overall. And then in the end, they end up focusing on small groups, uh, creating this sort of spectacle of immigration control while missing completely the point that actually, you know, 30, as you say, 30,000 and 28,000 people are the ones that arrive in, in a day, I don't know, in a, in a medium-sized airport in, in, the, in the country. I mean, in, yeah. it's manageable. And it, it's something that they've replicated also in the immigration plan. So, you know, they're making these announcements. Are we going to streamline processes? It's going to be so simple and easy for people who've won Nobel Prizes and, you know, Grammy Awards. And we're talking about, like, you know, a tiny, tiny section of people and the vast majority of people using the immigration system still face an incredibly complex and hostile system because the vast majority of people using that system are ordinary people coming through family routes or, or through work routes or student routes. And, and that's not what they're, they're talking about. We are the brightest and the best, the elite at the top level of society. You're talking about 12 people a year. This is not where the problem is. In the conversation up, up to this moment, the focus has been a lot on the arrival and you know the, the mobility in a sense but i was wondering from your vantage point would are there uh, risks uh, in the new plan as far as the position and the rights of those who are already in the country that you see that may be uh, threatened definitely and again yes it serves the interests of the government to talk about the people coming in but really the vast majority of people who work on migrants and refugee rights are worried about the people who are already here so in terms of refugees, um, the proposal is that if she can't find somewhere to send people away to, that she will give them only a temporary protection, which um, is playing into the same system that is already applied to other migrants, right? So most migrants in the UK, they come and they, you know, they come for work or study or whatever, um, and they're given 30 months, so a year and a half leave, and then they have to renew that leave if they want to stay in their home and stay in their job. And they'll be on a five-year or often 10-year route to getting a permanent stable status in the UK and then not have to keep renewing their status again and again. And she wants to apply this to refugees, which is absolutely the wrong approach completely because refugees are by definition very vulnerable people who need stability, need to know that they're safe and to be able to rebuild their lives here. They are people who by definition cannot be sent back um, to where they have come from. So reassessing their claim and making them reapply every 30 months is a pointless exercise that is only going to, you know, 
limit their ability to recover and to just rebuild their lives and to start thriving in our communities. And it, it doesn't make any sense even from the home office's perspective, because as I said, you know, even with small and manageable numbers of asylum seekers, the home offices has a growing backlog of people waiting in limbo in their system, and they want to give themselves four times more work to check people's status again and again. And every single person who applies, you want them to apply four times before they have a permanent status in the UK. That is insane in a situation where you're not even managing the process of them applying one time adequately. So this, this system is completely unworkable, both from the perspective of just keeping people safe and, and letting people get on with their lives, but also from the perspective of the home office's incompetence to deal with the problem. It seems unfortunate that this is a trend we have seen also in other European countries recently. I mean, the, the Danish proposal, but also in Germany about uh, making the family reunion more difficult or you know, sending back even Syrian refugees, etc. But from a UK perspective, I mean, what, what strikes me is also that it seems to contradict some of the work they are doing now on the, uh, promoting integration and, and things. You know, this idea that uh, you need to provide the uh, stabilities, uh, you know, allow people to settle in is something that you know has been people are academics and activists and civil society has been saying for years and now you know the home office seems to have even acknowledged in some policy papers and then they come up with this proposal that seems to undermine what they you know even a small advancement in their understanding around this issue um, with this new sort of uh, plan yeah i we see this a lot both here and also yeah in the rest of Europe as well the, the EU will come out with these policy statements where it's like recognizing that you know um the benefit that migration brings and that people need you know they, they know they they make it evident that they know what people need what actually works and they they put out this statement saying you know we want to achieve integrated you know people who can set up their lives here who can build their lives but then you know you see the policies all going the other way and you know these temporary um statuses uh, that's a growing problem throughout our immigration system so now that we don't have um freedom of movement from the eu anymore so people who are coming from the eu who were doing all sorts of different jobs in our economy from you know the the, the highest paid to the lowest paid they had the right automatically to stay here for as long as they were working in those jobs and they didn't have to worry about renewing their status or anything like that and with that gone there's an increase um, coming through the plans for immigration for these sort of similar routes that will provide the same sort of labor that our economy needs, but for people on a time limited visa. So whether that's youth mobility partnerships where people can stay for two years, but then they have to leave, or whether that's um, through these, this new temporary worker route, which again will be only for um, a year and a half and then you have to renew, but it doesn't lead to permanent settlement and then there are some sector specific ones as well so there's one for agricultural workers and there's the one for domestic workers and those only allow six months stay so we're talking about a churn of people coming in right being invited in because our economy needs it you know the government isn't you know in this they aren't pro number they aren't trying to stop the numbers coming in because they know they can't do that but they're giving people fewer rights when they're here and what that means is that people um aren't able to settle down and build their lives here and they aren't able and they are at risk of losing their status and becoming undocumented so what the policies achieve is the opposite of what the statements say they want but they must know this, you know? So there's something else behind it. Um, and whether that's just a, a sort of sense that the politics is in a place where you can't talk about giving people permanent visas, 
or whether it's simply some 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 other process that's happening behind the scenes in government i don't know but they are perfectly aware of what the evidence shows them needs to be done and they do not do it i think there is um, a, a general uh, common features in all these proposals is as you, you pointed out this idea of um, gaining control over the time the time and the lives and the or in of migrants and asylum seekers and refugees this sense of precarity that has become such of a, a, a sort of a permanent features on in the lives of whoever is non-national coming in in the country for whatever reason and um, this this on, on one end, so there is a general politically, as I pointed, very interesting. This idea of uh, you know rather than controlling the geographies, we control the the, the time of migrations. But there, I think there is something about the, a trust or belief that they have the infrastructure to manage this, which I doubt. I mean, there is a lot of faith in the digital borders and this capacity of creating system which enables them to know one person. You know, if every other day you become undocumented if you don't apply for a piece of paper, it's a huge amount of bureaucracy and up to now i mean we haven't got this great sample of uh, bureaucratic efficiency you know in, even uh, in, in from the from the british government so i'm a bit perplexed on how feasible are some of these proposals there there is yeah that is um, a really interesting question because again you know as i said with the asylum system where they're creating much more administrative work for themselves much more bureaucracy much more people waiting in limbo it's the same with you know the rest of the immigration system and they've announced you know again it's this futuristic concept of a digital only all decisions automated everybody just check in and and you know that the system makes it all work at the flick of a switch and yeah, forgive me, but I, I don't see, I think it was the, the Public Accounts Committee that had a report out into the, the Home Office's history of digital border systems recently that called it a litany of failures. Mm -hmm. I mean, you have digital policies being announced in this new immigration plan that were previously announced certainly in 2018 and probably earlier. You know, the, these, um, these processes don't tend to work very well when under the under the, the the home office's care and um obviously we see every other day a story in the paper of the human lives that are impacted when one of these processes goes wrong when you know the computer says no to your visa application um then then how do you challenge that and 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 how does it ruin somebody's life and if you don't have the power to get a lawyer and to get the media attention you know how many lives are just ruined by mistakes um, and by poor processes, you know, for everybody whose whose terrible treatment came to light in the Windrush scandal, there are hundreds more who, you know, the newspapers just didn't pick up on the story, and and you know their lives were ruined again and again and again. So that the ability of the Home Office to follow through on its own agenda, even on its own terms, you know, they 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 can't be trusted. They've shown us again and again, and you know, we see this with the asylum system just. Last week, um, the courts ruled that they've been holding people unlawfully in these barracks, these disused army barracks. Um, and, and that's going to result in compensation claims. That's going to result in the need, you know, and this, this sort of pig-headed insistence on refusing to listen to, you know, the civil society actors or the academics or the, you know, the expert voices who are saying, you know, warning them every time that these 
processes don't work, that they harm people, you know, leads to a situation where they're constantly fighting legal battles, constantly having to pay out compensation claims for false detention um, and for, for having people in inadequate positions. They're constantly being shamed in the press and having to overturn bad visa decisions. The entire department is a complete shambles. Um, the last question, it's, um, it's around um, what, what can be done? You know, probably we're expecting it. I mean, uh, as part of the of the new plan for migration, there was, a, for example, a consultation process. And I don't know if your organization took part of it, but I was wondering, uh, how do you see, what are the best way to try to limit the damage, but also come up with counter uh, initiatives to, you know, to this turn into uh, of the migration policy practice? Yeah, it's very difficult. I mean, the con consultation process that they held on these new plans wasn't worth the paper it was printed on. Um, it, it was an absolute sham of a process. There was a very limited time to respond. It was very limited access to translated materials. So anybody, you know, a migrant themselves who has experience of the system, very difficult for them to respond. Also, it was a multiple choice system. I mean, come on. It was, it was just a rubber stamping exercise. So it's very frustrating when they come forward with, you know, the opportunity to consult, but you know that they're just using it to tick the box um, and they're going to plow ahead with their policies anyway. Um, and I think that there are opportunities to force change. And the very important thing is that with the bill coming up, that um, we all make sure that see, the fundamental basis that they're doing this on is the idea that the British public wants it, right? They always defend themselves on this basis. Even when they're found to have done terrible things, they say, oh, yeah, okay, well, that was a mistake. But fundamentally, the British public want us to be harsh on immigrants. And that is why we're doing it. And that's why it's justified. And the British public really needs to make it clear that actually that's not the case right and we need to make it clear to our MPs and our representatives in the lead up to this new bill that's coming forward in the summer that's going to put this new plan into law we need to be campaigning really really hard to make it clear the arguments against what's being done but also to put forward what would work and what would work for example with asylum seekers is real safe routes. What are real safe routes? Well, that's opportunities for people to travel from wherever they happen to be, including at our border in France, to make the journey with the stamp in their passport on their paperwork, just like you or I would, for the purpose of entering the asylum system. So not people who have already been identified as refugees and picked by Priti Patel, people who are seeking to come to the UK to seek protection, give them the chance to travel safely, and enter our asylum system and then have an asylum system that doesn't make these terrible decisions and takes a long, you know, put those resources that you want to put into reassessing people's claims over and over again, don't do that. Put those resources into making better decisions the first time. And then you'll find that you won't have to take every case to appeal and people won't be finding that, you know, the refusal is overturned on appeal, like more than half of asylum seekers, that happens. They, they get a, a refusal on their claim and then they, they take it to appeal and then it turns out actually they are in need of protection and the court finds that they have to be allowed to stay. So if we were making better decisions the first time and then giving people a, a safe and permanent status, we would be making huge savings in terms of bureaucracy and efficiency. And yes, if the numbers went up a little 
protocol, but everybody was safe who arrived here and nobody came who hadn't been given a visa and given authorization to come here, then I think people would trust in that system a lot better. So there are alternatives, um, but yeah, we, we have to be put them, put, putting them forward and we have to be heard. And it may be that this Home Secretary won't hear them, but if we have those proposals developed, then the next Home Secretary maybe will have a chance at turning the system around. Thank you very much. So it's been a pleasure to have you on conversation with Iris. Thank you. It's been great to be here. Thank you. Thank you.